want to thank you for being here this morning, choosing to be here uh, instead of at Bite and Brew, uh, I think, which is just down the street, so, uh, but maybe you should go there afterwards, I don't know. Uh, listen, I, uh, we, we talk about a lot at, at our church um, that we want to be a church, or we are a church that loves Jesus and lives outward, and what that means is that, is that as we understand the love of God for us, through Jesus, how God's shown his love to us throughout the generations, planning and preparing for the sacrifice that Jesus would make for us in spite of our sin, that that affects us and it causes us to be people who uh, want to give back and say yes to Jesus and say no to sin, uh, to say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves. And so we are a church that loves Jesus, and as a result, we live outward. And living outward means it's just simply this. We're not going to live inward. We're not going to do things just for us. We're not going to do things just because we, um, because, uh, we want to do them or, or what have you. But we want to be a church that is not self-centered but is other-centered. It's outward-centered. It's, uh, it's on our community because we want to bring the hope of Jesus to that. And as a result, we have multiple events that we do uh, throughout the year now that we, we just did um, Feed the Need, and that was to support Richmond Elementary and perhaps other elementary schools as money has come in. And by the way, I think we raised uh, $1,500 uh, during Feed the Need, so that was awesome. Can we just say yay, Jesus, for that? That was our first shot at uh, raising funds that way, and God used it, and that was awesome. We had a bunch of people from the city come and, and just check us out. We'll be looking to do that again in, in the near future, but that was a, a fun event, and just a, I guess it was a couple of weeks now, uh, a couple of weeks ago now. And so we're excited about that. Uh, coming up on August 29th through September, uh, September 2nd, I should say, uh, we have a thing called Sports Camp. It'll be happening at Richmond Elementary. If you remember, we did this uh, a couple of years ago, and what we did was we went throughout the community uh, over by Richmond Elementary, which is over near Mission and 25th. Um, so that's uh, kind of the, the flats. It used to be called kind of felony flats. There's, um, you, know, uh, you know, other people who are moving in there, so it's not quite as crime-ridden as it once was, but there are a lot of children there that are below the poverty line. Um, I think the entire school has free lunch and things of that nature, but basically we've, we've been doing soccer camp there throughout the year um, every uh, Friday um, with kids that, that teachers specifically say, this kid needs you know, someone pouring into his life, and so we've done soccer camp with those kids. And then uh, we do Thanksgiving. Uh, we go give uh, free Thanksgiving dinners to people that... Um, uh, that wouldn't have it. Um, on Thanksgiving Day, we go and serve those people. And so that event will be coming up um, over the, the summer, right before school begins, we'll be starting sports camp. And so there's a couple of things that you can do. Number one, if you have kids that you'd like to have participate in this, that would be an awesome thing. Uh, it could be a family-style event. You could come and you could serve, but you could also register your kids to be a part of that. Um, uh, you can help with that. Um, it will be 5.30 uh, p.m. to 7 p.m. on each one of those nights. Uh, August 29th through September 2nd, and we need lots of volunteers um, for various different, um, you know, functions that we'll have throughout that. Last time we did this, we had 80 to 100 kids from the neighborhood come. We have no idea what it's going to look like this year, but I think it's going to be a blast. The, at the end of it, we had bounce houses and music and a slip and slide and all kinds of stuff. And so it was crazy. We got to share the gospel with a lot of people. So we'd love to have your help with that. You can sign up out at... Um, 
Connect Central, and there will be different sheets there for different roles, and so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Habakkuk uh, chapter 12, and Habakkuk, I'm sorry, there is no Habakkuk chapter 12. For those of you that know your Bibles, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, aha, okay. Uh, and I'll just say this, that this is one of the most difficult you know, passages, uh, passages of Scripture that I've ever dealt with. And uh, the reason is, is because he is asking some really difficult questions, but I think it's very important for us uh, to walk through this. Let me just explain this to you if you're new um, here or you, just, you haven't been here for the first part of the series, but Habakkuk is a prophet, and prophets normally speak to the people for God. So they hear from God and they speak to God's people. And they're there for correction normally. They see sin and, and, and God speaks to them and, and God says, uh, go speak to my people and tell them to stop sinning in these ways. And they often uh, get killed or <laughs> nobody listens to them or what have you. But Habakkuk is seeing the sin in his world. He's seeing the sin in his country, God's people, Judah, and so Habakkuk is seeing this, and, he, and, he's, and he's just kind of going, God, how long are you going to put up with this? In fact, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? And so what we, we've been kind of walking this fine line, just saying, like, here we are in our country, and we see all kinds of violence, and we see uh, all kinds of sin that's going on around us, and we see what's taking place. And in a way, we could be saying to God as well, God, how long are you going to allow this to, to take place? How long are you going to allow these things uh, to happen? But Habakkuk is kind of in this, in this same situation, and he's saying, God, why are you putting up with this? And he says in verse 4, So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And we've talked about the parallel between the racial uh, injustices and, and, and fights and uh, squabbles, and more than squabbles, but violence that's been going on uh, between African Americans who are being killed uh, in police stops. I'm not making a judgment uh, based on what should or should not have taken place there. It seems clear that some of those should not have taken place, at least. But I'm, I'm not here to judge that. I'm just saying we can mourn the loss of those people in those situations. And we can say this, this is an awful situation. So regardless of where you are uh, on the political lines, and I just want to caution you, for those of you who are, who are Christians, I do this on a regular basis, and it's because, it's because of this. We are not Republicans Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a conservative. Jesus is Jesus, and we are sinful people who take up lines along the sides of Republican and Democrat. And so there's things with the Democratic Party that we might agree with or disagree with based on what Jesus' teaching is, what the Scriptures teach, and there are things within the Republican Party that we would disagree with or agree with based on what Jesus has to say. But we're not on anybody's side. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to understand that first and foremost and understand that your Savior is not your political candidate as we move along in the political season here. But then you have uh, these, as I, uh, to get back to what I was saying, the, the police officers that are being killed killed in the midst of this. And so this is very pertinent. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. There's clearly people on both sides of that issue that feel that way. And so Habakkuk is here and he's saying, I don't understand what you're doing, God. I don't understand what's happening. 
<coughs> I don't understand why you would allow this to take place. And then we've, we've just had shooting after shooting and people being killed and, and murdered in, in, in the streets all over the world. And it's awful. And so what we come down to is, is what we have to say and what Habakkuk is saying is, God, what are you doing? And some of you have been Christians for, for a long time. Some of you have been Christians for a short time. And both of those can be dangerous for different reasons. But oftentimes people don't know their Bibles and have never understood the God that they're following and how sovereign he is. If you've never heard that word before, sovereignty means absolute control. Uh, Charles Spurgeon used to say that God is so sovereign that he is in control of the dust particle floating through the air. He's in control of all things. God is completely sovereign. It's, it's to talk about the providence of God, the way that God has aligned things to take place. And, but when you look at what's going on in the world and you say, okay, there's people who are being mowed down in the street, is God responsible for that? Have you thought of that? There's horrific things that have happened to you. Is God responsible for that? Why is God allowing these things to take place? If God is in control, then why would he allow these things to happen? If I've been a Christian and if I follow him and if I do what's right, isn't he going to bless me? Isn't he going to, uh, to go before me and take out all of my enemies? Ha-ha! <laughs> what should that look like? And if you haven't consider it, considered it then you may be in danger of being somebody who comes along and someone comes, comes alongside of you with a compelling argument and says, why would you believe in a God who cannot even control one guy with a gun in Germany? But the question is this, is maybe we don't know everything that God knows. Maybe the creator who put you together and knit you together in your mother's womb uh, decided how every cell in your body was gonna operate Maybe he knows more than I do. I don't know. And so what God's answer to Habakkuk is in verse 5, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And then he says in verse 6, uh, so Habakkuk might be thinking, all right, God's about to move, God's about to do incredible things, but then what takes place is God says, uh, you're not going to believe this, even if I told you. And Habakkuk goes, okay, tell me. I just want to hear it. It's going to be so good. And God says, behold, I'm raising up the most vicious enemy that you've ever seen to come and almost wipe you out. Everyone's going to be killed. Have you, have you ever seen someone put this verse? Like, this is my life verse. Uh, Look among the nations and see, wonder me astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And, and you just go, that's my life verse. God is doing an amazing thing. And, and he's like, just wait for it. It's going to be incredible. But what you're waiting for in context right here is for God to use a wicked, wicked, horrific bunch of murderers to discipline his people. And as a result, Habakkuk is, is like, he's tore up. He's like, God, I came to you saying, I think you need to give somebody a spanking, uh, not blow them out of the water. And so he comes back to him in verse 12, 
And this is what he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked, wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his, his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at the watch post. And station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, this is a model in some ways of, of how to deal with difficulty. This is, this is a model of how to wrestle with God faithfully in and through the most difficult questions that you have. Because the question that we have to ask is essentially, how should we respond when God doesn't answer the way that we want him to? How should we respond? God, I keep coming to you, and I keep asking you, and I keep asking you, and I keep asking you for a spouse. I keep asking you for a faithful spouse. I keep asking you for a child. I keep asking you for a job. I keep asking you, and God, not only did I not get a better job, but I got fired from that job. And God, we keep praying to you that these things will take place and that our city will become this, or that this stuff would stop and ISIS wouldn't be able to attack Christians and kill people like that all over. But God, you don't answer. And what are you going to say when somebody who's very compelling, normally a former Christian who comes to you and says, oh yeah, I used to believe that too, but then I realized that there is no God because of this. How can a sovereign God and a good God allow horrific things to take place? I don't even want to mention, they are unmentionables. They're, they're the sins, the disgusting things that take place in our world that we look at and just say, how is God sovereign? And yet he's allowing these things to take place. How is God allowing these things to happen? What, why, would God, why would God do this? And so you need an answer. But Habakkuk displays faithful wrestling with God. How do you faithfully wrestle with God? First of all, note this. Habakkuk is not just in some isolated corner crying in his beer talking to a, a bunch of friends who don't know and love God, he's speaking directly to God. He's talking to him and he's saying, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Are you not? And what he's evoking right here is, is a, a verse like Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 27, which says, 
The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. And what he's saying is he's saying, this everlasting God that's done all of these amazing things, and he's gone through the world with his people, and he's thrust out this enemy, and he said, destroy them. And he's like, where's that God? Where's that everlasting God? Where's the one that's existed forever? There's never been a time when God did not exist. Where is the everlasting God? Chris Rock used to have this joke that talked about the psychic network. I don't know if you remember the psychic network at all, but late at night, Dionne Warwick, who sounds like she smoked a thousand cigarettes right before she filmed this commercial, and she's like, I just, you should call us and we'll give you a, I don't know why they chose her to talk about, we'll tell you your future, you know, or something like that. And so there was this commercial, and, and, uh, and it, you could call in, and they would tell you your fortune, but then one day, uh, they went bankrupt, and so Chris Rock would say, so the psychic network went bankrupt. Shouldn't they have seen that coming? I mean, like, read your own fortune. Like, get on the phone and talk to yourself. Like, read your own fortune. And this is what Habakkuk is saying. Hey, God, and it's almost in a little bit of a biting tone. Like, if you look at the words there, there's commentators that think, like, man, he's, he's, he's coming after God a little bit there, and so he's kind of getting after him, and he's saying, God, I think... I believe that you're everlasting. Aren't you this one? Why, why would you allow this to take place? But then he says this. He says, he says, oh, Lord, my God, my holy one. And he's evoking something there. When he says, oh, Lord, he's, he's saying, oh, Yahweh. He's, he is calling God by his covenant name. And what that means is this, is that uh, when Moses sees a burning bush in the desert and God calls him and says, I've heard my people's cry and I want you to go and I want you to help go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And, and Moses says, okay, that's cool and all, but who should I tell them has sent me? And so, and so God says to Moses in Exodus 3, 14, he says, he says I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And, from, and, and, and that's where we get this idea of Yahweh. This is God's covenant people. Like, this is that God. This is Yahweh who saves. He's the one who saves Israel. And so what he's saying to God is he's saying everything that he knows about God. He's beginning with, God, I'm frustrated that you're the, the everlasting God but you're the God of covenant with these people. And, and where are you in the midst of this? What, where are you? You're the creator. You're the sustainer of all things. Where are you? And so he says this, we shall not die. And what he's saying there is he's saying this. He's saying, I have seen your deeds in the past. I, I know about your covenants with your people, and I trust you, I believe you. This is faithful wrestling. This is faithful wrestling. So many times we say, this happened, someone told me about the story, and I'm out. 
I can't believe in a God who would allow these types of things, and so therefore I'm gone. But Habakkuk is praying to God. He's not just in a bar room talking to a bunch of people who hate God, but he's talking specifically to God, and he's saying, here are the things that I know about you. Here is the nature and character of my God. And what I'm seeing in history, what I'm seeing in life, what you're telling me is going to happen, God, does not reconcile with what I know of you. See, here's the thing. Traditionalist Christians say, never question. Just believe and never question anything. Never question anything. And that's the criticism, isn't it? That's coming from uh, a secularist, secularist viewpoint or a liberal viewpoint. The criticism says this, like, you shouldn't believe and you, you shouldn't follow this thing because, uh, because of these things take place. And as a result, you should just walk away. And here's the problem with that, is that the traditionalist has it wrong and the secularist has it, has it wrong because the traditionalist should believe the Bible. Because the Bible is clearly stating this, that here we have a man of God who works for God. He is a prophet. And he's saying, I don't understand. And these are not small questions. These are foundational questions. I don't understand this. Tell me this. What secret doubt is plaguing you? What secret doubt has a seed in your heart that you've never spoken of? What level of discomfort have you had with God saying, I don't understand this, but I know as a Christian that I shouldn't question this. But have you seen our, our boy Habakkuk here as he's walking through this? God is a personal God. God is able to be questioned. He does not need to be protected. And so Habakkuk does what's right. And he says, we shall not die. And he affirms this, that God will preserve them somehow in and through what the Babylonians, i.e. the Chaldeans, are going to do, which is almost virtually wipe them out. And so he says then, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. What Habakkuk just said there is he said, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't like it. I don't like what's taking place here. And he's, getting, he's going to get into this more. But he, he, he's saying, oh, Lord. And he, that's a, a, a name of authority. Like, you're the one who's in charge. You're the creator and sustainer of all things. You're the one that's in charge. And this is what you have put into place. You have allowed this. Christian people must understand this, that God is either completely in control or he's not in control at all. Now, I don't believe that God is the cause of sin. But then someone will come back and say, well, if he's in complete control and he doesn't stop sin, is he good? But here's the thing. God maintains that he is good and righteous. And he has simply allowed those who are sinful and who are going to go and do whatever they want to get whatever they want. God's judgment on us is to become as sinful as we want to become. 
and it ends up destroying our lives. You see that in addiction. You see that in every aspect of sin that you have. It eventually starts to tear you apart. It eventually starts to rip you apart. And he says, oh, Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And you, oh, rock. And so he refers to God as his rock. I mean, like, oh, my goodness. Here's this guy, and he's saying, this is awful stuff, and I can't believe that you're allowing this to take place. But yet he says, oh, rock. In the midst of the turmoil that you're going through, you have to grab onto the nature and character of God and say what you believe. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, that you've got to write everything down that you know to be true about him. Everything that I know to be true, and even if there's things that you're like, I'm just not sure about this, that's, that's okay. You can, you can ask those questions, but you should write it down and you should say, I believe that he is the creator and sustainer of all things. I believe that he is good above all else, that he is righteous, and that he knows better than I do, and that his glory matters more than my comfort right here and right now. Because here's the thing, if you got into the Christian life for your comfort, even in the midst of great turmoil, awful circumstances, like life isn't manageable for me anymore, because I keep screwing up my life, and so I'm going to turn to Jesus. That's good, but you have to understand something. What if God allows more turmoil in your life? Is he still glorious? He was glorious when you received him by faith. Is he still glorious even in the midst of judgment? Is he still glorious even in the midst of persecution? For Habakkuk, he is those things. For Habakkuk, he does believe those things. I was just reading in Matthew 24, verse 9, Jesus talking about the end times, the end of the world as we know it. Don't think about that song right now. I feel fine. But um, uh, it, it, Jesus says this, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 9 through 14 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. The love of who? Of so-called God's people will grow cold because lawlessness increases. And people just go, hey, I thought that God was completely in control. But from my purview, where I'm at, on my perch, God doesn't look like he's in control. And so as lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So here we have Habakkuk, back to Habakkuk, who says, oh, Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And he's looking at the world, and he's seeing what's taking place, and he's saying, God, somehow, in your incredible providence, and in your will, and according to your glory, what's going to be best for you, you have decided, you've determined, you have ordained that, this, that these people, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, will be used as a tool for judgment of your people, and you, O oh rock, have established them for reproof. 
The Christian person says this, come hell or high water, you can do whatever you want to me. You can knock me down. I'm going to get back up because my God is bigger, badder, better. And it doesn't matter what you say about what's taking place in this world. My God sees way beyond what you see. You're a little bit nearsighted, bro. You have no idea what's taking place. You haven't even read the Bible, but you're going to criticize it. You don't even know what it says, and you think you know? You didn't create anything. You didn't create me. He did. He knows what's taking place. You didn't create this world. You didn't create this universe. He did. Oh, God, my rock, you've ordained them as judgment. You've established them for reproof. But yet, here comes the difficulty. He's established some things. And he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And this is the crux of the issue. This is the problem. This is the issue. God, I know you're all of these things, but here's my real question. Here's what I'm really struggling with. Why do you sit and idly look at the people who are your people, and yet they are murdering, there is violence, there is incredible things going on in the streets right now, and you idly look at traitors. And then you use somebody who is less righteous than your people to actually discipline your people. How could you allow this? And let's really get down to what the question is here that's being asked. How can a loving God... Use evil for good. How can a loving God use evil for good? Let's be really clear. When is the day of evil going to visit you? If it has not already. When are you going to experience that moment where you go, God, how could you? Because the next step is this, is either you return in faith and say, oh God, my rock, or you say this, I thought that you were too pure to even look on evil, but what I'm seeing is that you're just allowing evil, so therefore I don't believe that you exist. But Habakkuk is wrestling faithfully. He's wrestling faithfully. Verse 14 says this. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And he's, he's essentially talking about people who are helpless. There's no one to help him. There's no ruler. He's talking about his people. He's talking about other people that the Babylonians are going to conquer. Verse 15. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his drag net. So he rejoices and is glad. And he's saying, here these people are. They have their tools of war. They have the hook, they have the line, they have the net, they have all of these things, and they're rejoicing, and they're saying, yay, look at us, look at what we've done, and then he goes on, and he says, therefore he sacrifices to his net, and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net, and mercilessly killing nations forever? God, what are you doing in the midst of this? Here's a guy who he uses these tools to catch the fish in the sea, the people that you've made, your creation. 
They're destroying the image of God. And then when they get done, instead of recognizing that there is a God who is sovereign over all things, that's even allowed them to do these things, to have the success, to have the luxury or perceived success, to get rich, and you just allow them to do this, and then they sacrifice to their nets, and they worship the tools that they used instead of the God that allowed them to do this in the first place. God, how could you do that? How could you allow somebody to do this? If you go back to verse 13, he says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. There's something about that that kind of rings true for all of us, though. Because when Habakkuk says, You're too pure to look at evil. You're too good to allow these things. Like if we're really honest about life, I'm Chaldea. I'm the Babylonians. I'm somebody who is a sinner through and through. I use the tools, I use the gifts that God has given me to make money, to get things. And guess what I do? I rejoice and say, yeah. I'm incredible. Look at my awesome gifts. Habakkuk is saying this. He's saying, God, you've given them these things, and you're going to use them? You're too pure to use that. And guess what? That's me. I'm that person. I'm that person who is too evil for God to even look at. I'm the person who's done evil deeds. I'm the person who looks at my job as the thing that creates me and sustains me. It's given me my position of power. And so, ah, look at me. Look at my success. Look how I'm I'm this rugged individual man and I am somebody who's created this world that I live in. Look at me. I sacrifice to my net and I worship the things that give me those uh, riches, that give me the luxury, that give me the things that I have. And so here's the thing. You can walk through and you can say, God, how could you use evil for good? How dare you even look on evil or use evil? But guess what? He's using you. He's using you. And he's using me. I was talking to somebody recently who said, I feel so sinful around God's people. And my response was, man, I really don't want to do this with you right now, but like we could go through a list of sins right now that I don't want you to know about. And we could walk through and we could just talk about how sinful Matt is. And I'm the pastor. And we could talk about, hopefully I'm not walking in sin, but we could talk about each one of us. And each one of us, if we sat in in a group, like we were at an AA meeting and we were really honest about what's taking place. I went to an AA meeting many years ago with somebody I know, and I sat on the beach and I listened to people talk in openness about what was going on in their life. And for so long, Christian people have said, I'm in church, and I just just hope nobody finds out about me, and I hope nobody finds out about what's taking place in my life. But here's the problem. That's not what the church is. That's not what the church is. 
The church is not a gathered group of the most holy people, the righteous people who can point our fingers at God and say, hey, you, you shouldn't allow this in my life because here I am. I'm this, this, I can't talk in that voice that long, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's awkward a little bit, but um, uh, I sound like that Pinocchio commercial. When I look at this room, I see, and his nose grows a little bit. So anyway. Where was I? It's not like we're a righteous person who gets to point our finger at God and say, hey, God, you shouldn't. Hey, God, you shouldn't. Hey, God, you shouldn't. What is that doing? What's it saying? It's saying this, God, I know better than you. My viewpoint over life and over what's taking place is better than you. It is complete arrogance, it's complete pride, and it is to say to God that you don't know what you're doing, and I am more righteous than you. But the truth about me is this, there's no one righteous, there's not even one. God can't look at me because I'm not righteous, and guess what? You aren't either. This is the bad news. Every single one of us is sinful. Every single one of us is in a position where when God looks at me, he sees sin. And I can't be with God in my sin. I can't be with God in my decisions. I can't be with God in the midst of the things that I'm doing, like sacrificing to my nets and taking credit for the things that go well in my life, my personal giftings, my status, my social position, the things that I have, the way that I am, every single one of us is just like Babylon. So what's the answer to that? I told you this is the crux of the issue. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. I'll just tell you, that's the end of every sermon, right? You know this, right? Jesus is the answer to this. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? That only happened one time. And it was for you on the cross with Jesus. That only happened one time. It's not happening to you because you're not more righteous than he. Because God has endured my sin and he's endured your sin. And he knew the way that I was going to live. He knew the way that I was going to screw up. He knew the things that I was going to do. And yet, he sends Jesus to the cross with complete knowledge of the fact that here I am, Matt Porter, in 2016, and all of my record of wrongs and all of the wrongs that I'm going to commit, he knows about all of those things, and yet he still died for me? So here's the thing. He's not idly looking at traitors. He's not doing nothing. He did something. And he swallowed up the man more righteous than me, Jesus on the cross. 
and he bled out and he died as he was crucified. And then he went to the grave. But he didn't stay in that grave. He arose from the grave. And what that did was it released us from this penalty. That God cannot look at sin. And as a result of trusting in him, what we know is this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He was perfect. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become people that God can look upon and love and care for. That's the greatest tragedy that ever took place, and God planned it from the beginning. And God has further plans for our world and for our lives, and I hope you'll come back next week as we discuss this further and answer this question. Until then, I want to encourage you. Are you wrestling faithfully? Are you faithfully praying to God and, and telling him, this is what I believe about you, but I have questions. Are you talking with Christian brothers and sisters about what you're struggling with? People that know God and not reading bozos who claim to be Christians who don't believe the Bible? There's so many moronic books that you could read. Go ahead and read them, but read them with people that know the Bible. Go ahead and read them with the Bible open. Are you talking to people that know Jesus? Are you looking at other people and just saying, you know, uh, they are not righteous and yet they're getting ahead in life. And God, why would you allow me to not excel? And therefore saying, God, you don't know what's best in my life. You're sitting in your arrogance and you're saying, I am a righteous person. Look to Jesus who went to the cross for you so that your life can change and so that you can walk through the things that you're having struggle with. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your wisdom as we move through this passage. Lord, for those in this room that have struggled with your sovereignty and with your ability to control all things. Lord, I pray that they would take solace in the fact that um, you're not just sitting there um, just playing with us, but Lord, you have a plan and a purpose even in the midst of our suffering and the suffering in our world, that you will right every wrong that's ever taken place, that every injustice will be resolved in and through you. And so, Lord, we, we pray for that comfort. And, um, God, I, I pray that we'd move through this book um, with great hope and faith in you as we continue on. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.